0: You found the Diggin' Oak Island podcast, a podcaster's journey to discover the truth behind the Oak Island mystery. I'm Dave McBride. Thank you so much for downloading and listening. If you've been listening to and enjoying our podcast, please consider helping us out by becoming a patron. You can go to patreon.com slash Island to learn more. All right, before we get started, let's talk a little bit more about that Patreon page. If you think this podcast is worth five bucks a month to you, you'd like to see it keep going and keep being as ad-free as possible, please consider becoming a patron of our show. Go to patreon.com slash island and sign up. Patrons get exclusive access to a live chat during the U.S. broadcast of each new episode of the curse of Oak Island, plus some other stuff which we'll be doing during the off season. And, uh, you know, so come and join us. So, again, folks, go to patreon.com digging Oak Island, sign up, support the podcast. It's only five bucks a month. You can cancel anytime. Also, if you prefer not to do the monthly thing, that makes all the sense in the world to me. You can also make a one time donation to the podcast via Venmo. Just use the username at Dave McBride Music. I'm a musician by trade. That's sort of my virtual tip jar. So that's where you can go if you want to do that. All right. Now, some more business to get out of the way. I've said this past couple of weeks, but it's time now, folks, to get in your final thoughts, your opinions, your questions, et cetera, et cetera, on season 10 of The Curse of Oak Island for our season wrap-up podcast, which I'll be recording sometime next week. My hope is that I can pretty much turn over the entire podcast episode to you guys, the listeners of the show, and the true fans, let's face it, of the Curse of Oak Island and the Oak Island Mystery, right? I want to hear what you guys um, thought of everything we just saw. Did you find anything that kind of moved the needle for you? Did you, you know... Did you find anything this year that made you scratch your head are you excited for the future of the show were you disappointed by anything you saw this season did anything from this season help to prove or disprove maybe your own personal theory you see what i mean you see where i'm going with this so let's get them in to dig in Oak island at gmail.com let's try to do so before may 30th if at all possible uh, and i'll shoot to get the podcast out before the end of the week now Speaking of plans for the podcast moving forward, the off season is well and truly upon us, folks, and I am already hard at work on uh, getting you a handful of interviews for the show. Uh, because I really felt like last year, you guys really enjoyed sort of the off season's bigger focus on interviews, so uh, I'm getting them all together already. I'll certainly will do some more podcasts on the history of the dig. Uh, we'll see where all that goes as well. Right. But before we do all of that, there will be something of a break <laughs> as I research, prepare, write and record all of those things. Uh, folks, believe me when I tell you the off-season podcasts are much more time consuming, much more laborious to produce than the ones during the show. Plus, it's summer. You know, I'm going on vacation a few places. So. So I simply ask for your patience. Those of us um, interested in the Oak Island treasure hunt should have plenty of that. Uh, you know, so little patience over the summer months. I thank you in advance for that. But as always, you can keep any emails and questions coming in. That's my favorite part about doing the show is hearing from you. So I'll definitely answer them at some point this summer. You know, um, might just be a little random. All right. We have a couple of emails to get to this week. Uh, Yes, I know I got some others, but I am holding a few of them off for next week's podcast because they're kind of more of a wrap-up feel to them. So if you don't hear yours this week, just hang on uh, for maybe another podcast and you'll get to hear it. All right, let's start with Warren who says, I have noticed that they have started referring to the garden shaft as the money pit in the last few episodes. Are they just going off the proximity to the blob, baby blob, or something else? It just seems weird that they have spent years trying to find the original location, and now all of a sudden, this is, this is it, but based on what? One more thing. When they did the roundup at the end of the show, and this is the, the season finale, listing areas of interest for the next season, they didn't mention Lot 5. I'm sure this was just lost to editing, but Lot 5 has to be super high on the list. This new round structure is fascinating, Warren. Uh, Warren, I think um, when we get to the first part about the garden shaft, I think your answer is a little bit of both, right? I think the garden shaft sits in that part of the island that they refer to as the money pit area, um, because people have been digging in and around the money pit area in quotes for a long, long time. But at the same time, the narration has most certainly been trying to kind of shoehorn the word money pit into our collective unconscious, right, when we are speaking about the garden shaft. They did it again in the Drilling Down episode we're about to discuss. And I think you know what I mean, trying to blur the lines between these two things, the money pit and the garden shaft. Folks, I've said this before, and I'll say it again. And I think it bears repeating. The money pit collapsed. The original money pit shaft was destroyed 150 more years ago. Uh, You know, the garden shaft Cannot be the original money pit. It just can't. That doesn't mean that the garden shaft doesn't have anything to teach us, doesn't have anything to say about the money pit. It may very well have a lot to say on those subjects, right? But it's certainly about the history of the treasure hunt, right? But it's not the money pit, plain and simple. Those things are not the same thing. We are not, as a group, Uh, looking to see at the possibility that the Garden Shaft is the original Money Pit. It is not, plain and simple. And as far as your comment about Lot 5, boy, let's hope it was just an editing thing, because when you think about it, Lot 5 was a major storyline throughout much of Season 10. And you're right, Warren, it is very, very weird that it didn't even get a mention during that final War Room scene. However, spoiler alert, as we're about to find out, it does get mentioned in Drilling Down, so maybe we can rest a little easier on that one. Great stuff, my friend. Let's go now to a couple of comments from the Patreon after last week's season finale came in after the show. Um, Here is one from Marie who is talking about that final scene in the garden shaft where we see Gary Drayton metal detecting and getting a non-ferrous metal hit at the very bottom of the shaft. She says... I don't understand why Gary didn't scrape out what he could from the bottom of that hole, even some of the water, since it was only two feet deep because he got an indication of metal and then tested it. Or maybe he could have pulled out a coin or anything. So often they stop short of making a discovery. Marie, I, here's what I'll say. No one can understand that one. No one. I can't tell you how many social media posts and comments I saw after that scene saying exactly what you just said. I can only imagine how many thousands of Oak Island fans were literally screaming at their television when they did nothing after getting that hit. A non-ferrous metal hit. I mean, think about it. This wasn't a hit on some deep ground penetrating mechanism it was this was a regular metal detector the average depth range in a metal detector is like less than a foot whatever this was that gary was detecting on this metal detector is literally right there why not pull up some mud fill a few buckets of it have a closer look it was confounding and i have to tell you the conspiracy theorists have their knives out after that one for sure. It made no sense to just get that non-Ferris hit in a very retrievable location and then go, oh, well, it's pretty chilly guy, so maybe we can just dig these things out next year. I mean, that just, that just makes no sense. I wish I had a better answer for you, but honestly, there isn't one. Thank you so much, Marie. Okay, another Patreon comment from last week's show I wanted to get to. This one from Dara who asks, Someone remind me which treasure hunting company ended a day's work by probing the bottom of the shaft, convincing themselves there was a vault or a tunnel just below. Then they stopped working for the day, and when they returned, the shaft was flooded. The episode paralleled that story to the point that I believe it's intentional. Dara, um, that was, if you're referring to the same thing I think you're referring to. The first, the very first really sort of professional attempt at the treasure, right? It was the Onslow Company in 1804, I think. They dug down, found these wooden platforms every 10 feet or so, found a charcoal, um, a little bit of charcoal on the side, the coconut fiber, and then famously the 90-foot stone. After which, they were towards the end of the day, they probed down with a metal rod. Now, uh, what what I've read from the actual accounts is that the rod was hitting something and probably slipping in between two timbers. Um, So they didn't necessarily, that got sort of morphed into they were thought they were on a treasure chest or a vault or something. No, I think what a lot of them thought was they were on yet another platform, another 10 foot platform, because they kind of slipped this this crowbar or rod or whatever in between what they felt was in between a couple of different planks, just like they would if it were, it were uh, another platform. What they didn't feel like they were hitting was treasure, right? They didn't feel like they were moving through metal or coins or anything like that. That's the reason why they just sort of said it's the end of the day. Who knows how many more of these platforms there might be. So let's just call it a day. And it was late and, you know, and they were going to do the work tomorrow. Um, And then, hopefully dig further down, but when they arrived for work the next day, the pit was filled with water. Thus uh, thus began the legend or the uh, theory of the booby trap flood tunnel, that these guys removed uh, the rock, the stone, the 90-foot stone, and that somehow triggered the booby trap. At least that's what some people think. Um, If you believe that story, that pretty much ended the best attempt ever to get to the bottom of the money pit. Really, no one has ever been able to get that close again, certainly not with it being dry. Again, if you believe that story. Darrell, the hope here is that the Dumas guys know how to make sure the shaft doesn't fill with water like the money pit did 220 years ago. But let me just say it like this. If Gary goes back in the spring and gets the exact same hit, I'll be stunned. right? Because this certainly seems like one of those things that either we forgot about or he goes down there, there's no hit, and everybody sits around and goes, well, that's Oak Island for you, right? So it seems like one of those moments. Great stuff, Derek. Okay, that's it for the messages this week. Remember, we need your season 10 thoughts and opinions for next week's podcast. Get them in. Dig in Oak island at gmail.com. All right, guys, it's time now to discuss the episode of Drilling Down called Closing In. Man, we have been closing in here, I think, for 220 years, right? Maddie Blake is in what looks like an absolutely freezing Traverse City, Michigan, and for some unknown reason decided to do a shoot uh, outside by the lake. Personally, I would have found somewhere maybe a little bit warmer. I mean, anywhere. Uh, Now, in the opening scene, Maddie does his typical, you know, kind of exaggerations of what the team found and how close they are to the treasure, et cetera, et cetera. He does this a lot. This is the way Maddie presents a lot of these things. I'm going to do my best to not really criticize that or even really worry too much about it. I'm kind of used to it by now. I know it drives some people crazy, but it doesn't drive me crazy. Um, I think Maddie does his job and does it well. So let's just let Maddie do his job and not nitpick those things and get past that. Okay. Maddie sits down with Rick, Marty, and Alex Lagina, along with Craig Tester and Jack Begley in what is, I believe, the conference room at Marty and Craig's office for their company called Rock Management, I believe, or Rock Oil Management, something like that. Maddie starts off the conversation by talking about the timeline. He asks about the timeline moving further and further back, meaning the time, of, the timeline of when whatever occurred on Oak Island might have occurred. First, we thought it was, you know in the 1700s with uh, Captain Kidd, and then maybe a little earlier than that, then maybe a little earlier, and now we're even talking about Romans and things like that, right? That's kind of what he refers to. Um, But Marty responds by pointing out one of those things that we've talked a lot about on this podcast, the thing that is so frustrating. He says, quote, we have all these outliers that fit into multiple timelines because how do you square a Roman coin with more modern coins all found on the island, end quote. He's absolutely correct. I mean, it's near impossible, you know, to use the words he's saying, you know, it's near impossible to square a Roman coin with a medieval cross to make it make any sense into how the story, how these things got there by one group of people, right? Um, No less all the other stuff, all the other coins from different dates and with the, the, you know, the theories behind the dating of other features and all that kind of stuff, right? Alex sums it all up pretty well when he says, quote, I think the kind of frustrating and exciting thing about the evidence that we find is that, you know, we really can't reject anything. And then he adds, quote, we have what we think happened. And then we find these new pieces of evidence that suggest some other possibilities. Now, in my mind, this is the most important conversation for us as fans of the show, and for people really looking at the cur- at the curse, the mystery, and the history of it. This is the most important conversations for us to have. We simply have to start at some point here, folks, rejecting things, um, rejecting possible culprits or timelines, or the history will never be uncovered. When Craig says, "quote We've not crossed anything off of the possibilities." End quote. That simply has to be crushingly disappointing. I don't know how else to put it. Ten years of digging and finding things, and they not only haven't found the treasure, but they seem no closer to even formulating a theory than they were ten years ago. That's a tough reality, but a reality every treasure hunter has faced on Oak Island, right? There is then a recap of the garden shaft work, and again, here you see the producers trying to blur those lines, right, between the garden shaft and the original money pit. It's a lengthy recap, which ends with a replay, basically, of the entire scene we mentioned earlier with Gary Drayton getting a non-Ferris hit. Disappointingly, the team discusses this little event, this non-Ferris hit, no further, um, which is just strange. And, and, And instead, they talk about the future of the garden shaft. Marty says the plan is to deepen it and look uh, uh, at a little bit more, and that's all well and good, but again, folks, the garden shaft does not need to be deepened in order to look for whatever it was that was causing Gary Drayton's metal detector to go off. I don't want to belabor the point, but it's just very, very frustrating. I mean, we all want to see work being done at the garden shaft, but I think this one kind of seemed like a no-brainer. Anyway, and then what happens? Just shy of nine minutes into the show, we get what almost every fan was hoping for, the mention of the word MUONs, the testing done last year. Before the show, the Patreon discussion was loaded with MUON references. Robert said there is a rumor circulating that we may see MUON data not to be missed. Marilee said, I'll be watching for any scrap of info. I'd be happy just to hear the word MUON. (laughs) Greg says they have what he terms preliminary results. So he brings in via video conference Doug, I think his name was Shouten and Gary Agnew of Ideon Technologies to see what they have to say. These are the guys that did the work originally, right? We get a recap of the Muon work from last year and then we are shown some graphics. Now, during the recap, we did not get the recap of the producers saying that this was gonna be the thing that solved the mystery. They left that part out. It just kind of told us a little bit about what happened. Anyway, they show us some graphics they're kind of hard for me to really tell what they mean, except for one that shows what they call, quote, a really strongly linear structure that consist that's consistent with a tunnel, end quote. So this feature that he's referring to is 100 feet deep. It appears to run from the garden shaft um, right through this blob area. There are a lot of smiles around the table, but that ends up being all we get about the muons. I think we were all hoping for maybe a little bit more, but uh, you know what? Here's what I'm going to say on this. If this kind of thing takes time, then it takes time. If it's taking more time than they thought, then it's taking more time than they thought. I mean, I don't see any reason why they would hold it back, right? And there's nothing we could do about it. So folks, if you're searching on Oak Island, I've said this before today, I think, if you're searching on Oak Island, you simply have to have an abundance of patience, (laughs) plain and simple. So the conversation abruptly turns to the swamp we get a long recap of all the work done this year, including all the stuff that Tom Nolan asked them for things to do, you know, especially along North Beach. There is then an interesting piece of narration talking about the stone ramp. Matty explains how they had brought in, well, you know what, here's what I'll do. Let me read to you the actual narration here and you get an idea of what I mean. It, he says, quote, Geophysicist Jeremy Church They brought him in to perform, quote, a new magnetometry scans across the body of the swamp. Incredibly, the survey revealed a large, possibly metallic anomaly near the northern region just east of the 800-year-old paved area. But when the team drained the swamp instead of metal, they unearthed a stone ramp, end quote. And I guess my question is, I got a couple of questions. One, how is that possible? So what Maddie is saying is they got this metal hit on this magnetometer reading, and instead of metal, in its place, they found a stone feature. A magnetometer could really mistake metal for stone? I mean, I'm genuinely asking. I have no idea, but I would just think from the word magnetometer, probably not, right? And again, let me get to my second part, and I run the risk of nitpicking the narration here, but did you all catch... How the ramp and the path are 800 years old, but the stone road, which is all the way down at the bottom, which they always say was connected directly to the path, is only 500 years old. If that doesn't drive you crazy. Anyway, I mean, how could they be, how could they be the same thing in 300 years apart? Makes no sense. Anyway, Rick then discusses the future plans for the swamp, which includes what he calls sheet piling. This essentially is the same sort of large scale metal dam kind of thing that they used to block the ocean off when they were working on Smith's Cove a few years back. He explains that they're in the middle of trying to get the permitting to do this, but he seems pretty hopeful about getting that done. So maybe this is something that they think they're going to be able to do this year. The cool thing here is how Rick is talking about this in terms of being the last project for the swamp. That's kind of the words he used that if they can do this sheet piling and then really do a proper, full, dry excavation, that such a project like that could be all they're ever going to need to see about the swamp. Again, think about Smith's Cove a few years back. They did exactly the same thing. We've heard not hide nor hair of Smith's Cove again. Anyway, let's take a quick break. Got to catch my breath here. We'll come back with more on Drilling Down. All right, when the show comes back on, they discuss Lot 26, specifically the well and the wall found over by the beach there. They start with a recap of the well, including Dr. Spooner saying water tests showed silver traces there. The narration then makes a point of telling us that the source of that silver has yet to be found. Interesting. There's some talk about the dating being a thousand years old or so, but then they quickly turn their attention to the wall. Notice here that the dating from the well and the wall are, again, centuries apart. They keep finding all these interesting things, none of which seem to fit into any specific time frame, which really puts the idea of some sort of single pre-1795 event taking place in some doubt, right? Maddie then acknowledges the discrepancies and teases a possible answer for them later. We then head over to lot five to talk about the Roman coin, the 14th century lead barter token, which, seeming, which seems to chemically match the lead cross and also the stone pit. They all admit that they have no answers to what this pit might be and how the Roman coin or the medieval token might be related to each other or if they are in any way. Rick then talks about future plans, including the continued archaeological work and doing what he calls a, quote, more disciplined approach, end quote, to metal detecting the entire lot. I assume he means more discipline than the person before them and not that Gary Drayton doesn't do disciplined stuff. Anyway, it's something to look forward to. I mean, Lot 5 is interesting and has yielded some cool stuff, so I'm looking forward to that for sure. Then around the table, they start discuss to discuss the Italy trip, a lot of recap of everything from caves to symbols to archaeoastronomy. They talk again about Alex's theory, connecting a symbol in one of the churches, connecting it to the HO stone again, right? We've gone through this a lot over the last couple of weeks about this theory of his. No reason to repeat it all. You can go back and listen to the last episode. There's nothing new here on Italy. Good review if you needed that, but nothing new to talk about. After a commercial break, again, I think, Maddie goes around the table and starts to wrap things up, right? And what he does is he asks these guys to answer two questions. And this, this is some interesting stuff here. The questions are, where is it and what is it? And he starts off with Jack Bagley. And Jack starts by saying his favorite theory is that it's the Knights Templar and their treasure of some kind, and it's somewhere on the west side of the island. The basis that he has for this theory is the Zena-Halpern map. Uh, And he says, quote, if the map is real, (laughs) as part of his theory, saying if the map is real, then I think it's this. Well, Jack, uh, if you're listening... (laughs) That's a big if, man, a really big if. And I've talked a lot about why I don't put a lot of stock into the Zena Halper map, and there's a lot of reasons, right? Uh, It just doesn't seem like a genuine article. But let me say it like this. If you believe that this could be the possible best theory, the first step in this theory is to find out If that map is in fact real, the first step isn't to spend thousands and thousands of dollars digging and where this map might say to dig. The first thing to do is find out if that dig is going to do anything at all for you. And the only way you do that is find out if the map itself is real. They have not done that, right? I can tell you they haven't done that. Alex and Craig are much more tempered in their answers right? than Jack was. They both believe that it is the money pit area that's the target. And Alex during this has a great line in his answer. He says, quote, I don't know that I can tell you what it is because I know we have not found evidence that conclusively proves one theory or another. And again, I, I love talk. I love when these guys give us a little glimpse into what they're thinking. He's 100 percent correct. Nothing. I mean, nothing has ever been found that even proves uh, you know, w- what they might be looking for. The best we can do is say that there was a small piece of parchment down there, some human bones, and now apparently some gold traces in the water. But really, when you get right down to it, I don't really know what they're looking for. That's a big problem. The show ends with the typical discussion of next year. And with Maddie, as is tradition now, asking if they really are any closer than they ever that they ever have been, right, to finding the treasure. Craig responds by letting us in on something that maybe we really didn't fully understand. He talks about their number 1 goal for next year being to hit the ground running. That last year it took a long time to really get going on some of these projects and he called it frustrating. We didn't really get any of that, right? We didn't get a feel of any of that at the beginning of this season from the show. And that's a shame. I think a peek into these challenges, you know, and, and an idea of what these challenges are really potentially like, at least in my mind, that kind of adds some weight to the accomplishments that they make, right? Jake takes his, uh, or sorry, Jack takes his usual very hopeful approach, talking about how they might be very close, so close they might find the treasure next season. But again, Alex, is more cautious. This is a side of Alex that I really like. And I also think it's a side of Alex that the producers try not to, uh, to let out too much. But he says that the past 10 years have shown them that, quote, you got to be cautious before you make bold proclamations like that. And he's referring to what Jack said. But the most interesting exchange in this whole scene comes with Marty Lagina. And I'm just going to read for you this entire, this entire quote. He says, you have to believe in this. You have to think you're advancing the ball. You have to think that today is the day, that this year is the year. But here's the thing this year better be. I am quite certain that we are seeing the end of this quest, that it is in sight, that we are walking up Mount Doom, and we just need to throw the ring in. We can't fail at this point. Now, Let's put aside the wonderful reference to Mount Doom and the Fellowship <laughs> the Fellowship of the Ring, right? <laughs> what Marty is saying... Now, what Marty is saying here really, let's get right to it, is that they're kind of all in, right? But let's dig a little deeper on this because last week he made even a kind of a similar reference about this quest being near the end. This team is getting to the point where the entire island has been thoroughly searched and all mysterious anomalies uncovered that there wouldn't be anything left really to find. So it's either a treasure or what they're trying to do is connect all these dots to try and figure out what, if anything, actually occurred on Oak Island before 1795. I completely agree with Marty. These guys have searched more, have blanketed themselves over this island, more than anyone before. And that search simply has to come to an end. Sooner or later, we're going to get to the point where they've looked everywhere there is to look. It's tough to say, right? Part of me is also pretty sure that if it were not for the History Channel, I think Marty would have ended this search a very long time ago. All right, that's going to do it for this episode of the Diggin Oak Island podcast. Don't forget, send me your thoughts on, on Season 10 so we can do a podcast dedicated just to you guys, your opinions on uh, Season 10 of The Curse of Oak Island. Get them in, island at gmail.com. Don't forget, you can really help us out by becoming a patron. If you think the show is worth 5 bucks a month to you, then head over to patreon.com slash digginoakisland island. learn more. If you prefer, you can make a one-time donation to the podcast via Venmo. Just use my username, at Dave McBride Music. Also, if you would like to help out the podcast in another way, then you could do so by giving us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or anywhere you get your podcasts, right? Thanks to everybody who's done that. I really appreciate it. You can also follow the show on Facebook and Twitter. Just go to your search bar, hit at Diggin' Oak Island. And again, if you have any comments or questions, send them directly to me, digginoakisland at gmail.com. Remember to keep in mind, if you send me an email or a direct message, probably just going to answer it here on the podcast. If you don't want your message read aloud, please make a note of that. And also let me just remind you the best way for me to see those things is via email. Uh, I don't always check social media. I'm not a big social media guy. So if you really want something read aloud or it just even for me to answer, or you want to communicate with me some way, the best way is through that email. It's been a great season. So it's crown time. Until we speak again, I'm Dave McBride. Thank you for listening to Digging Oakland.